There's a lot of encounters with Jesus in the Gospels that include demons. Now, some versions have evil spirits, uh, demonic entities, whatever your version has, uh, including last week. We looked at the Canaanite woman last week, which we didn't really focus on the demonic aspect, but of course the, woman, the reason the Canaanite woman comes to Jesus in the first place is her son has a demon. As a side note, an interesting thing about Bible study, 95%, maybe more, 99%, of demonic encounters in the entire Bible are found in the Gospels and Acts. It, is, it certainly seems to be, as you go through the Gospels and Acts, that there is a, an, an emphasis, a highlight, an increase in demonic activity, of course, which serves, as we're thinking about getting to know Jesus and who he is and what he cares about and how he operates, this emphasis or this increase in demonic activity in the Gospels and Acts serves to show his power over evil spiritual entities, that Jesus does not just have power over nature, over the human body. We've talked about a lot of the healing stories. We talked about the calming of the storm. But Jesus has power over the spiritual world as, as well, these evil spiritual entities. And, and as we go through these stories, we're going to look at one today, a demonic possession. It's, I think, more interesting to focus on the people the things that the people think about demonic possessions, the things that people are struggling with, and some of the things that people want Jesus or expect Jesus to do. And so as we think about our encounter today, it's just as much about what Jesus expects of people, those who would follow him, as it is about his power over the demonic entity. In fact, his power over the demons is sort of an afterthought, at least in this story, as it was in our study of the Canaanite woman, the woman who comes to Jesus, where in the Gospels the emphasis is much more on Jesus' interaction with that woman. And he does at the end, of course, with the Canaanite woman, cast out the demon from a distance. Doesn't have to have to be there, he just says it and it happens. Here again, there's an interaction with the people and what Jesus expects of his followers in this story. So, as we're going to read, again, our habit in this, this study... I will not be reading out the chapters and the verses. This is in Mark 9, Matthew 17, and Luke 9. You can see, the, I think the colors show up. Yeah, the colors show up well on the screen. You can see the color-coded nature of this as we are, are looking at this story with this man who has a demon-possessed son. On the next day, when they'd come down from the mountain to his disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd, kneeling before him, answered him, Teacher, have mercy on my son. I beg you to look at him, for he is my only child. I brought him to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and he has seizures and suffers terribly. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and it foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid, and it will hardly leave him. So I begged your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Now, our story sort of picks up midstream. This follows the transfiguration in Mark 9 and Matthew 17 and Luke, where Jesus, of course, he takes up Peter and James and John up on the mountain. They have the encounter with the transfiguration, and he's left the rest of the disciples down uh, off the mountain. So our encounter opens mid-scene. The four of them are returning from the mountain of transfiguration, and what's been happening in the meantime? They've been up on the mountain. What's been going on? Well, a man has come to find Jesus. He's only found the remaining disciples. They're hanging about I often wonder what they were thinking about during the transfiguration. Why didn't they get to go? James and John and Peter, they're so special. But they're all hanging down, out, hanging out at the bottom of the mountain. And this guy comes. I'm looking for Jesus. Well, he's not here right now. Can you leave a message? No, I need you to cast out this demon from my son. And they can't. He asks them. Oh, and, and maybe they're thinking, oh, we've been following Jesus for a while. We can do this. No problem. We got this. And they can't. They, they try. They fail. 
And of course, the man, I'm sure, is exasperated. And so they come down, and a dispute has arisen as they're coming down the mountain. They've tried to cast out the demon. They've failed. The scribes are hanging around. I don't know. Presumably, they're arguing over their inability. Ha, see, you couldn't do it. And the disciples are maybe thinking, well, we could, but, you know, and they're making excuses, whatever it is. There's some argument that's happening over this encounter. And Jesus comes down the mountain. What's going on here? And that is where our story opens. We should make a brief note here regarding demonic possession in the Bible. I want to make this abundantly clear. Uh, one of the... This is actually not as popular now as it used to be. One of the common ways of interpreting de demonic possession was uh, to say that this was some uh, either brain damage or mental disability or, or some sort of psychological problem that they didn't have a name for and they ascribed it to a demon. The Gospels do not present it that way. Jesus talks to and interacts with these demons. We should not try to ascribe this to some naturalistic cause. We should take the text at face value here. This man has a spirit who is causing him to do these things. And we'll see that, of course, as we see the interaction between the spirit and Jesus. He answered them. He comes down. What's going on? I tried to, they tried to cast it out. They couldn't. And Jesus' answer is so interesting. He answered them, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And I, the, the word that I would use here to describe Jesus is exasperated. <sighs> Bring him here. Like, I, I, I wish we had the inflection, right? <sighs> How long do I have to put up with you, yahoos? Right? That, that's kind of the sense that I get here. How long do I have to put up with you guys? Bring him to me and I'll deal with it. Now, the how long, of course, puts a, a strain on his patience. He's been, of course, doing stuff for a while putting up with the faithless and twisted generation. And, and really the question in the story, who is he upset with? There's a couple of possibilities here, right? Maybe he's upset with the scribes, okay? The scribes have come, they're arguing, they're disputing. They don't believe that Jesus can do this. The disciples have failed, and now the scribes disbelieve even more. Maybe he has uh, uh, some exasperation with the man. He, right, he didn't wait for Jesus, he came. Oh, disciples, you can do it. Uh, I'm not going to wait for Jesus, you guys do it. I think most likely, of course, is that he is frustrated, exasperated with the disciples for their inability to cast out the demon. What have I been doing? How long am I supposed to put up with you guys? You guys can't do this yet? Now, of course, Jesus knowing why they failed. He's aware of what's going on. We understand this. But I imagine one of the hardest things about the incarnation, the incarnation being the fancy word for God becoming flesh, Jesus becoming flesh, one of the hardest things about that was him having to put up with people, right? I think that would be so hard. If you, you've been, he's been living in heaven this whole time, up with God. I appreciated the dovetailed so nicely. Uh, Philippians 2, what Ron read at the communion. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, right? He's been with God up in, in, in whatever's going on up there. Now he has to come deal with us and put up with us on earth. How long do I have to be with you guys? Right? There's an exasperation that really emphasizes the humanity of Jesus. Isn't that what makes our lives difficult? Man, if I didn't have to put up with you, Yahoo's, my life would be great. That's, of course, tongue-in-cheek. But that's what makes life hard, is other people. Jesus, as human, understood that. But I think, doesn't Jesus still have to put up with us? Right? He's putting up with us today, right now. And here's a good way to measure your life. Ask yourself at any given moment... Is Jesus thinking this about me right now? Oh, how long do I have to put up with Chris? 
How long do I have to bear with him? Right? Is that what God is thinking about us? And he's putting up with us. Ultimately, he does help the man in the story. We'll see that as we go through. But thinking about how our actions affect Jesus. They brought the boy to keep reading. This feels weird. They brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, when the Spirit saw him, again, this text is not, the text is not trying to say, like, this is some mental disability or thing. There, there's some entity that sees Jesus. It immediately convulsed the boy. He fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at his mouth. And Jesus asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. Now, Mark goes more into detail about Jesus' conversation with the father, which we'll get to in a minute. First, we should note how the demon reacts. The spirit reacts to Jesus. Sees him coming, goes crazy. This is not the only time this happens in the Gospels. Mark 5, 6, and 7. Uh, Demon-possessed men in Mark 5. When he saw Jesus from afar, he fell and ran, down, uh, ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have, I, uh, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. This is a demon talking who has possessed this man. In Luke 4.33, in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. He cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Of course, James says it this way in James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, which is what these two demons did, right? I adjure you, don't torment me. Have you come to destroy me? Of course, the demon in our story in Mark chapter 9 sees Jesus, immediately falls down and begins convulsing the boy. I don't want to deal with Jesus. Maybe if I do this, they'll all get distracted and Jesus won't hurt me. Maybe that's what the demon's thinking. I don't know. James 2, we should finish this out in verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? James' point, of course, spiritual entities have never doubted Jesus. The devil never doubted Jesus. That's the whole point of Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 4, the temptation of Jesus. Why did the devil come to Jesus to tempt him? Because he knows what's up. Doubt is for us, for humans. Which is why, one of the reasons why, Jesus is so exasperated. The demons know who I am. You guys can't figure this out? You guys, how long do I have to put up with you guys? We keep reading. The Father keeps saying to Jesus, It is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, here again, I think if we're, if we're thinking about the inflection of the text here, if you can, if you can, there's a little bit of incredulity, maybe exasperation again. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. This is one of the most profound statements, please, in all of scripture. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. A little bit of a contradiction here. Faith is not an either or. It's not a, it's not a switch. You flip on and off. It's more complex and nuanced than that. The father obviously has some faith. He's brought his son from who knows where to find Jesus. He would not do that if he did not believe that Jesus had some power. That Jesus could help him in some way. He has some amount of faith. He believes. I brought my son to you because you might. And here's where really we get the kicker here, right? You might. If 
you can help him. Of course, it doesn't help that the father has just experienced a major setback. He's come to Jesus. He couldn't find Jesus. There's his disciples. Well, you guys cast him out. You're his disciples. You can do it, surely. But they can't. They couldn't help his son. They were unable to. So the father, who believed in some way, had some level of faith. He's come to Jesus. He's looking for help. But now he's encountered this major setback, this, this blow to his faith that I think we often similarly experience, don't we? And I don't know why this is doing this all the time. Uh, we experience these sorts of things, not due to God's failure, of course, but because of people. The disciples failed this man. And their failure, the failure of the people, has shaken this man's faith. That's happened, that happens to us. People let us down. People fail us. People either intentionally or unintentionally, hurt us. And that's a danger to our faith. This, again, is the cause, I think, of Jesus' exasperation. That the people, the disciples in this case, have led this man to a crisis of faith. And so doubt has begun to spring up in this man's soul. I came here because I believe in Jesus, but now I'm not so sure if you can help. Not if you will, not if you want to, if you can. Now, fortunately for the man, Jesus, despite his slight rebuke here, right, if you can, all things are possible, does not condemn the father for his struggle, right? When Jesus saw the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mutant deaf spirit, I command you come out of him, never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand, lifted him up, and arose uh, and he arose, and Jesus gave him back to his father, and all were astonished at the majesty of God. Jesus, of course, has compassion on this father, who cries outright, I believe, help my unbelief. I do believe in you, Jesus, but I'm sorry I had some doubt. I'm sorry I wasn't sure. I, I do believe, please help my unbelief. And what's the one thing the man needs for help with his unbelief? Is for Jesus to cast out this demon, which he does. He doesn't say, too bad, you doubted. No more for you. He gives the man the help that he needs. And again, I think this is for thinking about our own lives. We doubt. We have struggles. We have setbacks. Jesus is still ready to help. Still willing to help. To give us the thing that we need to help our unbelief. Because we have some level of belief, but we need more. Of course, this doesn't just help the Father. This helps everyone around. And of course, one of the things about the healing and the, the demonic possessions and the casting out and all the different things that Jesus does, he's not just helping the immediate person, the Father in this case. He's ultimately helping everybody who saw. It wasn't just about the Father. It was about everyone. They all were astonished at the majesty of God. We keep reading. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And this is an important point, right? They are maybe having this setback too. They believe in Jesus. They believe in his power. And yet, when the opportunity came, okay, this is great. We've been following Jesus. We've been, we've been at his side this whole time. This is it. We're going we're gonna to take it, and we're going to do it, and hooray for us, and they fall flat on their faces. So now maybe they have a crisis too, right? Why, why couldn't we do it? And here, Matthew and Mark deviate somewhat oddly in their emphasis. Mark, who up to this point has really been emphasizing faith, really been emphasizing the Father's faith, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes, Mark puts this last line. He doesn't include Jesus' longer explanation. Mark just says, so this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. 
Maybe Mark is implying that the disciples had tried some elaborate ritual, right? Maybe they had a seance. I don't know. Probably not a seance, but, you know, some sort of elaborate thing that they were thinking if we do this formula. Very, indic uh, very evocative of, of Mark Matthew chapter 6, which we talked about in Bible class, right? When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. Maybe that's what the disciples had done. They, they had this long, complicated, drawn-out thing, and they weren't realizing it. it just, it's just prayer. That's it. Fat, uh, anything but prayer. But Matthew emphasizes a more simple truth. Why could they not do it? Because of your little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. One of the reasons I wanted to blend this story together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, their accounts, when you put it all together, you get an interesting picture of Jesus' exasperation here. And, and going back to, oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to put up with you? This is why. Because you, of your little faith, you did not believe enough. You've been with me, however long it's been, and you still don't have enough faith to do this thing. Jesus expects his followers to at least have faith. He expected it of the man, right? If you can. Well, sure, of course I can. All things are possible to one who believes. The disciples, why couldn't we cast it out? Because you have a little faith. In our story of the calming of the storm, right? We looked at Jesus calming the storm. They come to him, oh, save us, Lord, we're perishing. Please help us. And he asked them, why are you afraid? Why are you, I'm on the boat. The boat's not sinking. I'm on the boat. Why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Over and over and over, despite his perfect patience, his endurance. Of course, we consider the cross, right? Who endured the cross and despised the shame and he sat down on the right end of the throne of God. Despite Jesus having perfect patience and endurance, he nevertheless might be upset with our inability or our unwillingness to grow and progress and demonstrate our faith. Fortunately, he's willing to forgive as he was with the Father. I understand you have some doubt. Don't worry. I'll help you out here. He forgives. He's willing to overlook our struggles. He's willing to help us out. But he expects us to grow, to strive, and to trust in him. He expected his disciples to trust and have faith in his power and God's power. They couldn't. Got a little bit exasperated. A little bit frustrated. And again, if we're thinking about the application for us, even the demons believe. That's James' point, right? Even the demons believe. But they don't do anything about it. Why would Jesus think to himself about me? Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to put up with you? What's going to make him think that about me? When I lack faith. And when I do not allow the faith that I have to lead to action to lead to living the way that he wants me to live. Jesus expects us to have faith. We're all at times like the Father. I know you are. I know I am. We're all like the Father, right? Our faith waxes and wanes. We have some amount of belief. You have some amount of belief, otherwise you wouldn't be here, I presume. Although maybe your parents just dragged you here, I don't know. We have some amount of faith, some amount of belief, but we need more, don't we? 
We are like the Father. We've taken the first few steps. We've come to Jesus. He brought his son to Jesus. Now he's beginning to doubt. Maybe that's you. You've taken the first few steps. But there's setbacks in life and struggles and difficulties and you're not quite sure anymore. It's time to take the next few steps. And fortunately, Jesus is willing to help. To help us believe. We'll end with 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6-11. through This will be uh, the last re uh, scripture we read today. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that God, at the proper time, uh, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. In the case of the father, casting the anxiety of his son, right? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Don't you know the devil is right there in this story? Oh man, I've almost got this father. I've almost got this guy. He had this setback. He's, he's, he's teetering on the edge. Are you teetering on the edge? Because he's waiting to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the whole world. After you have suffered a little while, you, is, there is some suffering. After you suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. He will do that. He will help your unbelief. If, like the Father, you can cast your anxieties on him and keep coming back to him, even after setbacks, even after difficulty, if we keep coming back to Jesus, he will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. To him be dominion ever, forever and ever Amen. And isn't that what we're trying to do here? To ascribe to him, again, as Ron was saying in our, our communion talk, every knee will do that. We will ascribe to him dominion. Let's do it now, here. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you're like the Father. I believe a little bit. I need more. I need more faith. I need more belief. I need more trust. If we can help you in some way, we want to do that. If you need to take that first step, to come to Jesus, to repent, to confess, to be immersed. We want to do that too. We're going to have a great blessing today. But we want to help you if we can. So come while we stand and sing.